probably start well at the end really and reflections on 22 23 season um now ultimately you know promotion was the stated aim uh, late even as late as late october dean smith before the sheffield united game said totally believe we'll get promoted didn't work out with dean we know the, the story he, he's gone over christmas you brought david wagner in but you finished 13 win one of the last 11 18 defeats now i know as you do every summer you have a debrief of your senior co- colleagues you may or may not have had that already but line up the factors for me why such an alarming difference in your opinion between the objective promotion and the delivery yeah i think firstly we ultimately failed on our objective to get promotion let's let's, let's clear that up now and there's no hiding from that um i think though you know we're still in the race for promotion up until west brom um, and you know maybe we're a penalty away, which we should get to go two 0 up, which maybe changes that game and the conversation can be so different. So I think I'm not going to sit here and magnify as if we've had the worst season in the club's history because I think we all know that's not the case. Um, but did we ultimately fail on our target with promotion? Yeah, we did. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots of reasons for that. We'll find out. There's no point dwelling too much on them because we've also got to look forward and yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. We've, we've got to move on. But you'll understand why, obviously, in this touch point, we do need to reflect on what went wrong. Yeah, but I don't really know what to say. It, it's We've had a difficult season um, and we were in the race until the end. We were in the race until the end. I think what we've ultimately done, and I said this to the players and staff before they left last week, is, and I congratulated them on this, we've created huge expectation. We've created that. Because I think this club's won seven trophies in the top two divisions in its history. Two of them have come in the last five years. Uh, so I said, guys, congratulations. We've created now where having a season like we've just had is deemed as a disaster. Because a season like we've just had wouldn't have been deemed as a disaster before. So it's like, brilliant. Now what we need to do is we need to learn to how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that expectation that at this level we have to win pretty much every game for it or else it's seen as, as, as a crisis? But I said, that's a really good thing for us because we spoke at the start of this journey around how do we make this club bigger? How do we make it look and feel like a Premier League club, whether that's infrastructure, which we've done, whether that's results on the pitch, which we've done, uh, whether that's academy productivity, which we've done. So now the next bit for us is, right, how do we learn to, to deal with that? Because we've not dealt with that well enough this year, even when we were doing well. You know, we've been top of the league at times, we've been second in the league, we've spent over 100 days in the top six, Coventry spent 19, for example. So it's, um, we've got to learn and deal with, even being fifth isn't good enough. Brilliant, great, that, we've created that. So let's embrace that. Let's, how, do we, how do we move forward and, and make sure that you know, the type of player we recruit can deal with that? Um, the type of staff member that we have and develop, right? How do we, how do we deal with that? So that, that's what's key for us. And part of that moving forward, and referring it back to not just this season, but maybe the season prior, is, is Car Road and the results at Car Road the last two seasons, especially different head coaches, some different players within the, the group. But just on the Car Road element, you know, is there any unique factors in play for you why it's seemingly a struggle to perform in front of the home fans? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it's um, yeah, it's become more difficult to play at home, but but, but that's because of us. You know, that's we haven't done well enough here, so. You know, we we need to do we need to perform better. We need to win more games at home um, to make it a better place. We, we, listen, we know because you know all the conversations with 
the supporters groups and etc etc it's never going to be like Hillsborough last night Let, let's not kid ourselves it never has been or not in my time of, of watching Norwich and when I talk to lots of fans they, they say the same so it's you know I don't think anyone's ever gone oh Norwich is a cauldron and a difficult place to go for away teams because it, it never has been and we're not going to just flick that switch that's not going to you know bringing in a drum isn't going to suddenly go oh wow what an amazing place for us to play and what a terrible place it is for opposition to play so we have to find different ways of, of doing that and that has to be that's on us that's on us as, as the people who work in the club to make sure we perform at home we can't be riding on you know supporters making it easy or hard for us to play here it's it's never the supporters fault it's that's on us likewise if we win away from home we haven't won away from them because there's no Norwich fans there or you know 500 in the away end at Swansea so we didn't win there because oh the Norwich fans made us win the game we won there because we won the game that was that was down to us so it, win lose or draw that has to be on us uh, of course would we all prefer I'm sure yourselves as well doing your jobs a more positive vibe at Carroll yeah of course I don't think any fan I mean and it's so you know down to single figures of season tickets available under 100 left for hospitality so it definitely shows that the people here want this club to do well because why would they come if it's an expensive season ticket at Norwich right so you know I'm sure if you didn't like it that much you could definitely find something else to do on, on a Saturday afternoon so that shows that everyone's behind it and wants it to do well but we have to be the ones who, who set the tone for that that's on us and not, not anyone else and in terms of to carry on that point setting the tone and particularly you know the what you're serving up at Carr Road, one of the charges levelled past 18 months or so is the defined style of play. And when I talk about that, it's what is a Norwich team about, what they're trying to do in and out position, possession. When, when you originally came in, it seemed, it felt that was one of maybe your core principles, you know, the, this Norwich DNA running through all the teams. So if it was the academy sides upwards, you know what you're going to get from a Norwich team. Um, clearly, that's something you want to see re-emerge under David. Or uh, what we're talking about here is that that's all well and good, but it jars maybe with the pragmatism of trying to actually win games. But can you understand where people are coming from when they talk about what is a Norwich team all about now on the pitch? Uh, yes and no, because I think sometimes it's, you know, we've had swipes at us of performances where you go, hang on a minute, that's unfair. You know, we've had 28 shots on goal. That mean we're not attacking. Like, come on. It's, it's not easy to have. Man City don't very, very rarely have 28 shots on goal. So I think. Um, sometimes it becomes an easy stick I think it becomes an uneducated stick to beat us with I think it's really easy for you guys to say if we've lost put on a report oh no style of play we had games where we won with brilliant style of play where we played pathetically and won 1-0 but it's like oh this DNA it's like you know, sometimes you have to see through that and we have to see through that but also what we have to remember is we're trying to strive to be in the Premier League and stay there that's our aim against all the odds because it is against all the odds at a club like this with the investment levels compared to our competitors but that's what we're striving to that's what, that's what we're here for every day every member of staff every player um, what we have to do is also have a way of playing which can help us be successful of that or else we get the court in we can never win because we play great football and lose oh I'd rather us play like Brentford and win okay we, we change to play football like Brentford and win oh yeah we won but I'd rather us watch champagne football and lose 4-3 okay so we have to make sure that we ignore that and we try and find a way um, where we play and it's a team that the fans can hopefully relate to and enjoy knowing that you'll never please everyone because you've also got massive generation difference of fans right so you'll have some fans who've brought up watching the unbelievable Barcelona team which I'm sure everyone in this room loved about 2009 to 11 period still the best team I've ever seen in my life um, you'll have the current Man City team 
But then you'll also have people who back in the 70s would have loved the Leeds or the Chelsea teams where they basically just kick lumps out of each other. So you'll have some people, and we heard it under Daniel's first season, well, oh, it's all right, well and good, but I want to see someone make a tackle or break someone's nose. So it's like, well, you're never going to please everyone. But for us, it's about having a way of playing that we can build and be successful on. Have we gone away from that? Yeah. But I think that's been normal because we were either chasing results under Dean when he first came in to try and stay in the Premier League. That was the objective. Try and stay in the Premier League, make us more difficult to beat and make us more Premier League capable. Because previous to that, at 49 games under Daniel, we'd won six. Um, that don't keep in the league, never. So it's like, if we're going to keep doing that, we're going to keep going on this cycle of, of that. So we had to change that. And then probably last year in the championship, ended up being caught up in that sense for, we have to go up, we have to go up, we have to go up, we have to go up. And we didn't control that narrative well enough of, no, actually, let's go back to get your processes right. Then you perform and then you win. And that's a bit we've got to go back. And now, we, you know, luckily, as football throws up, we now have a great opportunity because we have the whole pre-season. First time in a long time that we've had a big pre-season, you know, because it's been either COVID years where it was cut short because of obviously the calendars we, we know mixed about, or last year the Premier League goes later, Championship starts early, so again the gap was shorter. The One of the positives of our season being defined earlier than any of us would have liked was, okay, at least it's crystal clear, this is when we start back, we have a proper six-week lead-in for the first time in a long time where David can, you know, and the rest of the staff can work on, on what we want to be. And bringing it back more from the theoretical to, to the practical, there was just one point in the season I wanted to get your thoughts on, and that was, I think you lost here to Borough, I think it was round about November, it might have been the last game before the, the World Cup break, and yeah, it was, yeah. you know, ultimately hindsight's a wonderful tool, but you know, because I'm sure you've heard it, that why didn't they make the change sooner in terms of the managerial situation? Was that ever discussed at that point? So that's prior to obviously going off for, for Tampa, and, and you had that month-long period when the World Cup pause came in, um, or not, but you know, just for context, I, I checked earlier today, and you were fifth in the table after that Borough game, six points off the top of the table. But was there any sense at the top end of the club that you might need to consider a managerial change at that point? No. Simple as that. No, so yeah, simple as that. Which brings us on to the guy you did go to, David Wagner. Won five of his first seven, but only one of the last eleven. That that is a marked decline in output. Is it solely down to? You know, injuries to key experienced players, the Hanleys, Gibsons, McLeans. Um, and if so, you know, what does that say about the balance of the squad and maybe maybe the recruitment over the past few windows? Well, I think I challenge any club in the world football to lose four senior players because you miss Kieran Dowell out of that and expect to perform at the same level when they had all four senior players. Look at Liverpool's form at the start of this year when they had big players out. They're struggling. It's like, and Jurgen Klopp, bless him, was saying on every press conference, well, what do you expect? We've got four best players missing. It becomes harder. So, and I think as well, I think again, I think it's like playing football manager. If everyone expects us to have four top senior centre backs, four top senior wingers, four top centre midfield players, you're living on a computer game. You're 21 years old living in a, some fantasy that that's what you do. It's like when you're running an organisation and a, and, a, and a business like this. Guess what? These players cost a lot of money, and it's not hard. So it's, you can't go. We'll have the fourth most experienced centre half on a thousand a week. Do you know what we get for a thousand a week? Probably a Kingsland player. Great respect to Kingsland players. So I think it's um, for people to overlook that and almost, oh, it's just an excuse. Is I'm never going to change their mind today. So why am I going? I'm not even going to try. If people can't see the damage that them injuries do to any team, any team in the world, take Man City now. Man City got Champions League final coming up. Take out Holland, De Bruyne, 
John Stones and say the keeper, four of their best players, you could argue. I'll tell you what, Inter Milan go, we are fancy this because there is a drop off between Haaland and Alcaraz. There is a drop off between uh, De Bruyne and Mahrez. That's a fact, and that's at the world class level. So I think uh, anyone who can't see that, they're either trying to get on side with a popularity contest, using it as just an easy stick to beat us with, or quite frankly, are completely uneducated on football. Understood. Um, take you back to an interview you did with a training ground guru February this year, where, where you said, I'll quote, you don't pay money to go and listen to someone like me talking about long-term plans. You want results in a team you can enjoy watching. So by that measure, your measure, do you accept that you haven't delivered that for the last two seasons? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you said at the start, I, I'm never f- afraid of standing up and staking account. You know, people in my role don't talk. You know, and you'll probably have that one day. You know, I'll be gone from here and you'll be like, oh, can we talk? And they'll be like, no, he doesn't do interviews. And all of a sudden be like, oh, you know what, at least the old fella used to stand up and front some stuff up. Um, but no, we, we haven't delivered on that fact and we're trying to find a way to do that. But also, I'm not going to sit here for the benefit of all of our staff and players who work incredibly hard to make this football club the best it's be and act as if everything we've done has also gone wrong because that is not a fact. Uh, the fact of the matter is this football club has continued to grow even in the last two years. Um, so yeah, have we reached our ultimate aim which was to get back to the Premier League? Well, no, we haven't. Um, our ultimate aim is staying in the Premier League but I think, I think everyone can hopefully see just staying in the Premier League is incredibly difficult unless you have huge financial help. But look at Southampton, they've got three points more than what we had last year. They spent 143 million net. It's like, our record signing is still Tim Closer. It's like, you know, so like what we're doing, you know, we talk about Brighton and Brentford, quite right, they've done brilliant, but Brighton owners over 700 million investment. Now Brentford's over 150 in the last three years. And that's of the lightest accounts, it's gonna be more. So it's like, people have got to see that we're also trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve against the backdrop which, is, which isn't just as simple as oh should have done this should have done that you know hindsight's, hindsight's wonderful you know we were we were close this year we finished six points off of the playoffs so it's not like we're sat here going oh you know we were 25 points off the worst club we've ever seen was it good enough absolutely not bang there's your headline absolutely not but the fact of the matter is internally Am I going to sit here and beat up all of our staff and players who've done some incredible work for this club? No. Have we built stronger box to make us even stronger next year as an organisation? Yeah, because we've got 300 staff, 1,000 if you include casuals. Thriving Academy, it's like there's a lot of good work going on and, and I'm not going to sit here and, you know, I'll protect all of them people because I know what's going on. To be, honest, to be fair, I was going to come back to you on the Academy point. There was a, there was a stat, I think, produced there towards the end of the season that under 20s minutes in terms of EFL clubs you're right up there I think you're probably fourth. in the top fourth or fifth yeah um, so on the academy point I mean is the pipeline do you feel as strong as the Aaron's Lewis Godfrey etc cohort or, or is that unfair because that was a group who almost came through ready made to go and affect it at the top end of the championship where do you think you are now those minutes suggest that that's still functioning very well but where do you feel, feel you are in terms of the next iteration of your academy players yeah, I mean, it, it, we think it's stronger than ever. You know, we've, you know, Andrew, you know, we've got Andrew Omobomadeli. You know, we turned down an offer in January for him, which was bigger than what we sold Ben Godfrey for. So that's where the level of him has. So we, we've seen the emergence of Liam Gibbs. Um, Liam Gibbs this year, John Rowe, been really unfortunate with his injuries, bless him. And I think, um, you know, that's been a real kick in the teeth for him this year and for us, because I think he's an exciting player. But then, you know, we've had Abu Kamara make his debut. 
this year is an exciting player, still got a lot to do, but exciting. Brad Hills, Jaden Warren have been on the bench. So it's just, well, it's stronger than ever been. You know, I mean, in my time here, six, the last six years, 24% of our minutes have been played by academy players um, over the six years, which is a hell of a lot for any football club. But that's a lot where our starting point was, you know, and if we look at the infrastructure at Lotus Training Centre, you're lucky to go there at least twice a week to do your interviews with David. You can see that what that place looked like to what it was, you know, we've now got an academy which is, you know, the envy of most clubs in the country. You know, there's a reason why big clubs from all around the world come and visit our academy and see how how are you doing this and and how's it happening. And um, yeah, we're we're super proud of the work from all of our staff there. We're super proud of the players who come in um, and deal with, you know, what it's like to play now for for, for a big club. So it's great and it's exciting what we've got. More come on, Jay Marshall, who's our recruitment. Uh, head of recruitment for the academy keeps plucking these players from I don't know how he does it but he keeps plucking them we've got more international players in our academy age groups than we've ever had in the history of the club so that's one of the areas where that growth is um, has been outstanding I was going to ask you about yeah because wherever you stand in terms of this football club somebody's trying to get in <laughs> somebody's trying to break in here <laughs> <laughs> it's not Dave Smith is it it's Nelson Oliveira <laughs> <laughs> but uh in terms of legacy, I mean, absolutely, the, the transformation there from Colney, what was it, 49 Porter Gabions or whatever, um, to, to world leading in terms of what you're trying to do there. Nobody could doubt that element of your legacy is secure now, whatever happens from here. But going, bring it back round to particularly the first team and, and the squad, what would you say to, because I've seen it put out there, you know, that maybe there's some parallels now in terms of the, the level of surgery required to the squad to when you first walked in the door in 2017 is that for you simply doesn't stack up if you look under the bonnet you're um, not back there again on the football side of the legacy yeah no I can see some of the points on that to be fair and I think we've naturally come to the end of a cycle this is the third team that I've built since I've been here um, so the cycle of this has ended if we look at Michael McGovern Sam Byram Kieran Dowell Timu um, leaving Tim, Tim Cruel not leaving but you know maybe losing his status of as being number one and, and you guys know what a, what a key part of this club he's been for the last five years in terms of on-pitch performance but obviously the, the big personality which, which he brings to it so I think um, there's naturally going to be more work done this year than other years I think there's a need for that you know one of my regrets uh, or, or learnings from last summer was probably should have done a couple more and freshened up a little bit just to bring more an energy of ones who maybe hadn't have been beaten up with what happened the year before. So we definitely need to change that, you know, and it's a bit like the Ashley Barnes signing. You know, the reason we've gone for Ashley Barnes, and we'll go for probably at least a couple more of a similar ilk in terms of experience, is we've lost a lot of experience out of our dressing room. You know, if we take Grant Hanley, we've lost him really. I know he's in the club, but, you know, he can't help, unfortunately, for, for quite a while. Um, so it's like it was super important that we bring in some big characters, experienced characters. When we look at then our talents of young players, you've got Angus, still a young talent. I know he's 27, but in terms of goalkeeper-wise, he's young in terms of experience played. He's young. Max, young. Bali Mumba, young. Andrew Bomadelli, young. John Tompkinson, young. Sam McCallum, young. Gabriel Sarri, young. Marcelino Nunez, young. Um, Zolish, young. Johnny Rowe Young, Liam Gibbs Young, Adam Eady Young, Josh Sargent Young. We've got a real pool of young players uh, who are, some of them are about to hopefully take that step into being a proper, more type senior player, but, but they're young. So it's a bit like, well, we've got to have the help around them, you know, in terms of 
you know, an Ashley Barnes who can help by either playing with a Josh or an Adam or being around them make them better players. Um, you know, they can learn from them because if you look at what we've always had a good core of, you know, I remember even when I first came, Russell Martin was here. I know he didn't end up playing too much, but good pro, super experienced, played high level. So he could help Ben Godfrey become, well, Ben was out on a bad example, but he could help Jamal Lewis that year who was coming through. We had Alex Tete who could help James Madison or we had Wes who could help, you know, James. Then the next year we had a Jordan Rhodes who could help Dennis Sobrenny or whatever. We had um, Grant Hanley who could help Max Ahrens next to him. We had Tim Cruel who could help. So it's a bit like some of our players have become that. So we've had Ben Gibson since he's been here now has come up into being one of them guys who can really help the others. Obviously Grant and Kenny, but obviously Grant's injury. So, But we need to add some of them and then obviously so maybe some more mid-range players so maybe peak age 26, 27 to 28 and then as always we'll always be coming up from blood because our model is as you know we have to trade we've done 80 million uh, profit and player trading since I've been here you know it's that's our model we have to buy if we spend money younger develop them grow them give them opportunity sell them on that continues for the club to be able to grow um, and that's our model right? It certainly is and on that point I mean David when I spoke to him about this towards the end of the season, said it is inevitable you'll sell, but to reinvest rather than you're under financial pressure to sell, which if we're going back to the Madison summer, for example, we, we all know the situation yeah. there. So is that where you're at? And you talked earlier in this interview about, you know, you turned down a sizable offer from Obama Daily. This summer, any... It's easy for you to say. Not, not that easy. <laughs> Let's call him Andrew. <laughs> not, not with the whole Hall's lozenger in his mouth. <laughs> but, um, but is that where you are this summer? That Again... Yeah, there will be exits, but it'll be on your terms, basically. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate as a club that how we've run it, um, or how we've tried to run it, is to make sure that we, you know, we, we don't have a gun against our head. Sometimes we choose to sell a player because it's the right thing, maybe to reinvest in the squad. So, could I see a sale of Rashika, for example, this summer? Yeah, he's not going to want to come back in the play in the championship. He's had a really good season at Galatasaray. There's interest, so. You know, and that might be a sale. Well, actually, this really suits us because it helps us not necessarily respending the squad, but it might attribute to wages for a loan player, or it might be actually we can do a bit more infrastructure. Or it might mean we can keep in the bank for for next year or whatever. You know, because it's not always a case of right, we sell some for ten, we're going to spend till that. That's not our model of of our, of our club because um, we have to have also be ready for a rainy day or, or for or for a difficult period. But yeah, I think the key for us is we don't have to sell. Um, is there a couple would be willing to sell? Is there maybe one or two we might not have a choice like we've had previously with Emmy or okay Madison? We had the, we didn't have a choice financially, but also we didn't have the choice because you know we just finished well, 14th in the championship and a Premier League club coming off a big money. The player obviously at that point wants to go. Say with Emmy, Aston Villa come in. Yeah, of course he's going to go to Aston Villa. Why is you know he's going to want to force that through? So I think it's. Um, you know, them scenarios can happen, but at least we're not sat there financially. We can try and get the best value for us, which is which is important. Just want to put one name to you, and is it a scenario that it feels like it, it might come to pass? And that's Max Aarons, because we know contractually he's coming into the final twelve months. Could for for all parties it be the right time? Do you feel this summer for Max? Yeah, I mean, listen, Max is he's one of our own, right? So he's you know a player that or a person that. I have a very, very strong relationship with because, you know, I remember after the bollock came in my office as a little 17 year old um, through to being there when he's lost someone very close to him in his family, you know, so it becomes, you know, people probably on the outside will have this perception that they're not humans and we don't have these tight relationships. We have very tight relationships, but 
Max needs to go. He needs to go. He's outgrown us. Uh, we can't help him anymore. Um, and I hope he gets the move that I think he deserves. I think he's been really unlucky not to have got a move by now. I think probably COVID didn't help because, you know, maybe club's finances dropped a little bit. I think the same happened with Todd. You know, I thought Todd, after that first Premier League season, deserved the move. And I think if COVID hadn't have happened, he probably would have got one. But no offers came because I think everyone was like, hang on a minute, we're in a world pandemic. We don't know when this is going to end. And spending transfer fees wasn't necessarily people's priority at, at that point for the type of club who'd maybe sign a Todd or, or a Max. Um, so I think for Max, I mean, we're also relaxing though because if we still have Max next year, what a great player to have, what a great guy to have. And if he even left then in a year on a free, we're super relaxed because, you know, the club bought him for 10 grand from Luton, well, approaching 10 years ago soon. Maybe doesn't want a testimonial, but around 10 years ago. And, um, you know, we would have got well and truly our money's worth for him, you know. Um, but on the business side, and what I, what I truly believe is right for Max, and then probably what's right for the team as well, having a bit of freshen up, then I think if, if the right offer came this summer, I think it could be really good for all parties. OK, um, thanks for clarifying that. Just a hypothetical one as it stands at the minute, but but do you still retain the sell-on clause in the Madison original deal? Yeah. Yeah, so obviously if he was hypothetically to move on this summer, then yep. you're a happy man. Well, it depends how much. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about the South American arm? Just ask you about that in general terms. You know, is there an expectation you can go again in that territory this window? Because we know the groundwork you put in there. And of course, yeah. Sara and Nunes produced there last summer. Yeah, I mean, again, for our club, it's, it's been a huge step for us. You know, like if I would have sat here speaking to you on the first interview and who would have said, you know, in six years we'll sign two players direct from South America, I probably would have laughed and gone, I don't know how we're going to do that. Um, but I think that's where we've managed to build our infrastructure. And I think we've got the results of that, I think. You know the interest we've got at the minute in Sarah is big from big clubs because I mean everyone's worked out okay this is a top player this is a proper player um, I'm pretty sure we'll have a good chance of keeping him this summer um, but we'll be under pressure for sure from from these clubs I think even with Nunez I think he's shown enough to go okay second season could be quite exciting for this guy um, I think he needs a break having played from the previous January he's pretty much played 18 months of football even during the World Cup Chile decided to play him for 90 minutes in two friendlies, which was less than helpful, and he came back injured. So it's been like him having a rest is going to do him the world of good. But I think South America, yeah, it's going to become a big market for this club, and, and it's something that I'm so proud of the work done by Mariela Lee. We've got two full-time scouts in South America who work incredibly hard because this has become possible because of them and their work, not because not of me. Um, I haven't got the time to be in South America all the time or, or stuff like that. That's why we have a recruitment department. It's... But the work they've done, the bravery they've shown, and fair play to Dean Smith as well, you know, in terms of last summer when Lee is presenting uh, the two boys, uh, Marcelino and, and uh, Gabby, to us, you know, would have been very easy for Dean to go, I'd rather us take a safer option and go and get an established championship player. But he saw the bigger picture for the club in terms of, A, we need to recruit and have a player that with potential asset value for us, but also. If we can get one right from that market, my God, it can open up that market to us big time. And that's what it's done. You know, we've got, you know, for the good work from the comms and marketing now, we have, you know, Portuguese Twitter feeds and stuff like that. So we're trying to really grow our brand out there, not from a point of view of we want to start, we're going to take Brazil and sell a load of shirts because we understand where we are in the pecking order as a football club. But it's people knowing that in South America, Norwich could be our gateway to a big club in Europe. Um, and that, that's, 
great for us. You know, like for a club like Norwich to be able to do that is, is super exciting. Talking about sort of matters o- over the pond, I just want to touch on the Atanasios. We obviously know the situation now in terms of um, potentially this summer that there, there, there could be more news in terms of the, the shareholder mix, and, and that changes slightly. But 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 in this context, in terms of transfer window, does that translate into a direct revenue stream for you, the Atanasio? No, no, not at all. No. On a, more broadly, I mean, I think you touched on it in January when when David was unveiled. You, in terms of a sounding board, are you increasingly, you know, using Mark and his family and the people around him as well in terms of day to day? Yeah, I think they've been super helpful. So um, we've built a data and innovation department at, at, at the training ground the last sort of eighteen months. And I think if we look at data, and obviously, as you know, we own the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team. You know, they're light years ahead in how they use data compared to European sports, just because it's been culturally a thing they've done forever. A bit like we're like years ahead of how sports science and medicine. So they're coming to visit us all the time to take ideas back on that. We're going to visit them a lot around the data. So they're, they're helping us build this data team because to be honest, the complications of data is, I never realized you've got to have data engineers, people who are off the scale intelligent. You know, these are guys who work for NASA and stuff and I'm like, too clever for me. But the help we've had from them on that has been unbelievable. Um, I don't want to talk for Sam Jeffrey on a commercial aspect, but the help that he's having in terms of opening potential markets around that has been great. And I think where Mark fits in brilliantly, and, and fair play to Michael Folger um, when he sold his shares because he did the right thing for the football club, not necessarily what was right for Michael. You know, Michael probably could have got more money elsewhere, but it was about finding someone whose values fitted Delia Michael, fitted the football club, someone who could work with Delia Michael, someone who could come here and you know, sort of step by step help the club, which is very much what Mark's done at the Brewers. If you look at the Brewers, I think he's had 18 years there. They've built that club step by step. He hasn't just wrote in big checks and yeah, go and do what you want with it. He's done it sort of step by step. So I think the sort of two businesses align very well. So, you know, I talk to my counterpart out there a lot um, to share ideas and share best practice, share learnings. And it's the same all the way through the club. So whether it's... Um, Glenn Lewis in sports science talking to their their people, our nutritionists talking to theirs. It, it's it's been great to have that you know different sort of idea and and you know different people from elite sport who aren't maybe just stuck into the day to day of football because sometimes or for us stuck in the day to day of baseball because sometimes you can get caught up in you know not getting your head up and looking a little bit wider. So it's been uh, it's been good and I think I believe personally this is just my personal opinion that Mark um, will be really good for the club. As it, as it goes forward, that's, that's, that would be my take on him. You know, he's a good guy, uh, he cares, he wants the best for the club, but he's also humble enough to know this is a sport he doesn't understand yet. Be like us with baseball, right? If I said to you, you might be a massive, no, like, but I haven't a clue. I watched a baseball game three months ago, I was out there and I'm like, uh, why, why are you not running now? And I felt like a proper amateur. You're thinking rounders, aren't you? Yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm watching, you go, know, why is everyone cheering? You just, you know, like, but, but you know, um, but Mark knows that as well, you know, about our sport, that, you know, he's going on a journey to learn that and to learn the business within that. So it's one thing learning the sport, but it's also the business around it. They don't sell players in their sport. So it's mind-blowing to him about, what do you mean someone's buying a player? How does that happen? Um, but then likewise, it's mind-blowing for me when I'm sat talking to him about how they trade. What, you just tell a player where he's going? Yeah, that's how it works, and we get this one. It's like, so I think it's... You know, we've got to go for that learning with Mark, and I think Mark, you know, as a type of person, he was humble enough from day one to know that I'm learning here. I haven't got all the answers because how can he have all the answers? But he's a, obviously a very astute business person, knows how to create value in, in in businesses, and 
like I say, I think will be really good for the club. I mean, from the outside looking in, everything you've explained there and everything we've, we've seen around this, um, however it now plays out from here, it, it feels more evolutionary. It's not going to be a dramatic departure from you know the, the self-funded model. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's really fair. Uh, we're all talking for, for Mark and, and Delia and Michael, because I'm not at them level to, to have them conversations. But I think one of the attractions for us to Mark was there's not many football clubs that you can find where you don't have to keep writing checks. You know, there isn't. So um, that was obviously an attraction for him that it wasn't just coming in and pouring more money and more money and more money into a black hole. It's a business which is run, you know, as well as it sort of can be, loads of mistakes within it, as we know. But in terms of from the outside, they were super attractive to buy Michael shares because you were like, oh, okay, I can get involved in something here which has actually got the ability to grow and be worth more as opposed to just being so much I'm just going to lose money but within that and, I mean, and you've touched on this you know in the past about you know there are inevitable limitations you know you can't to this window go out and, and spend tens and tens of millions of pounds that's not how this club operates that's how unable to do that ever since you walked through the door we all know that so in that context if it's not going to change are you still going to be and, and you said it in a club interview last year that the toughest part of this job is balancing the ambition, which is obviously you translate as trying to get into the Premier League and stay there, with making sure there still is a football club. I think you said we make big mistakes, we go bust. Yeah. So, ultimately, is it always still going to be that balancing act between, yeah, you want to be ambitious, but you also need to know that this is a, not for the here and now, there'll be sporting directors after you, there'll be players after you, you know, and it's a generational custodianship almost of this football club. I think so, yeah, because I think it's it's about what what does a football club stand for in a community like this? Because this is a club which is a very different to other clubs. You know, there is no one else to support here. You live in Norfolk; it's there's only us, right? Uh, I appreciate King's Lynn, but in, in terms of, of of us, so I think it's um, it's always going to be that sort of steady growth. Because the other thing as well, we think about these these business people who take on these these clubs; they don't do it to lose money. So. You're only going to invest massively if you think actually I'm going to get massive out, because if not, unless you're you know a Norwich fan or a fan of X club, and it's been your boy a dream forever to buy that club, and you can blow a billion pounds and it doesn't matter, you're not doing. It. Even take take the Chelsea situation now, they're not spending that money to lose that money. They're investors. There's a group of seven investors at that club who are investing to go. Well, no, we bought Chelsea for this much, billion. We actually think in ten years projected growth it will be that, and that's where they'll go and make their money. So, I think. People think there's going to be someone out there, you know, and Dealey Michael, you know, often say publicly, I believe, that, you know, for 30 years, no one's turned up saying, I'll do it and I'll, I'll basically spend all my money on it. So I think it's what we have to do in the meantime, because at some point for this club to all to make that step, it's going to need help. It's definitely going to need help. But until that day comes, what we have to do collectively, that's all the staff, players, people involved is, let's best prepare ourselves for that. So if we look at, What's happened in the last six years, you'd go, what are some of the key things we've done? Okay, well, we've built now Community Sports Foundation, which means a new owner doesn't have to come in and build a massive community arm, which would be a demand if we didn't have it. We've built a training ground, which once the recovery hub's done, which is whatever, four or five months away, it's going to be genuinely world-class, probably in the top six or seven in the, in the country as, as a training ground. So, oh, as an investor, right, so I don't have to go and put 50 million in to that. Okay, that's quite good. Then you go, well, what about the academy? Well, 24% of our minutes for the last six years has been played by academy players. So that's 
growing and there's lots of top talent underneath. Right, okay, so I don't have to spend a load of money on that. Then you probably come here where we start to say Cow Road. I think we all know, yeah, this place is going to need some help at some point. So the revenue streams can improve, so the customer experience can improve on a non-match day, so a fan experience can improve on a match day. So I think it's what we have to try and do as, as custodians for the club is step-by-step step build it, whether it's staffing structure, so having a data and innovation team of eight people now who are creating all this data for us around analysing our own performance, analysing our own players, analysing our staff, finding less potential players on the outside, the data stuff at the start, the, uh, the stadium you can now analyse if you go to a club shop Paddy and buy a shirt and a scarf why did he buy that what else can we sell to him you know all these things which what big clubs and big businesses do all these things are happening so at least when someone comes here you're not starting with a shelf which is probably what has been a little bit more of a shell of you're suddenly going oh, we've got to do this and this and unfortunately all these things take loads of time you're building the training ground, you can't just build, well, maybe you can build it in a year if you've got a billionaire who's willing to spend 200 million just just build it. But the reality is you have to, you definitely can't build a youth academy success in a year because that takes time, right? Um, so I think it's about us constantly building the club and the infrastructures and the staffing levels and et cetera, et cetera, ready for one day if someone is going to come and bang, push us on, they're actually starting from a really good base. Um, that's, how, that's how I would see it. Um, whilst trials trying to achieve sorry on the pitch and I think that's where if we won seven trophies in the top two divisions in the last 120 years and two of them have come in the last five years well we're also trying to balance that off as well you know, we've played in the biggest league in the world twice since I've been here failed miserably while there and I, I take full responsibility for that no problem but the fact is it's it could have been a lot worse you know we know lots of clubs who are a similar size or even bigger than us not even for us what's it 23 years to get out of it you know and they spent 200 million to try and stay there and hopefully they will but maybe they won't so I think it's understanding and not getting caught up with everything's really bad when it's like well actually if you reflect we've had a poor season in terms of it's not been enjoyable to watch we all know that we've touched on that already in the interview we didn't finish the position that anyone wanted to finish in whether that's you guys in the media I'm pretty sure you'd much rather be going to Old Trafford and writing a match report as opposed to I don't want to expect another stadium but another stadium so it's um it's also seeing that, well, actually, we've had super successes within that on the pitch as well. It's not, I don't want to be the guy who just talks about growth, 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 growth. Like, oh, yeah, but you lost. No, no, we take that. But also, we've had an FA Cup quarterfinal for the first time in 30 years in my time here. We've won two trophies, which has sat proudly in our cabinet. We didn't have many in the cabinet before. So it's like we are trying to balance the two together all the time. Yeah, and, and speaking to you today, but also I felt at David's unveiling in January, you sound on a personal level, like somebody who still feels you've got unfinished business here, that, that for you, in your own mind, getting this club back to the Premier League and trying to keep them there is what's motivating you. Is that fair to say? Um, no, I, I think what motivates me is the, the people I work with every day um, because I've invested so much sort of in there. Um, there'll be someone else sat in my chair soon. That, that's a fact. You know, I've been here six years now. So you know, the, the, the end is, is coming. But from the day I walked in six years ago when I had hair, um, or more hair, it was going a little bit. I feel like it was a little bit, but I was, yeah, I was fighting for dear life. Um, but now it's completely gone. I can't hide it anymore. So, um, but what's happened in, in them six years is I've never done anything other than work tirelessly and made decisions, put myself out there to be shot at, been there as a human shield. So I'm a human shield at the minute for this football club. And that's completely okay. And my desire for this club to be the best it can be has never 
never changed because I could have made super selfish decisions. I could have left the club to go for more glamorous jobs. I could have gone, I don't care about infrastructure. Let's just buy players and hopefully stay in the Premier League for a year and then I get an even bigger job somewhere else. It's always been about club, 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 people, 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 people. Um, and that's, what's, um, that's what kept me motivated. That's why if you ask any staff member I work with, I'm available 24-7 to them. Any player, bang, 24-7, not a problem. My work is, is my life. Um, I've been beaten up for saying I want to take a bit of time off sometimes to do other things, but I'm never off. I signed Isaac Hayden at 5,000 metres last year because it's like, well, yeah, I'm on my phone. It's like, that's what I do. It's like, you can go on holiday for a day and go, well, I still answer the phone. You know, I was at a funeral recently. Yeah, still all the way there on the phone, all the way back phone. I don't, you know, my, my job, probably like yours, in fairness, in your world, you never, you never stop. And, and that has never changed. And until a day I leave here, whether that's tomorrow uh, or next week or next year or whatever, whenever that'll be, it'll be, as always, I'll give everything to the club and I'll do everything to protect uh, the staff and players. They're always my priority. And, and on that point, I mean, you, as you say, in your words, you know, you felt like at times or you, you feel like now that you're a human shield and, and you know, You've had to take, you know, the criticism on a personal level. I mean, going back to when, you know, when you made the decision with Dean, you said part of that was because you felt you needed to change the mood. We all, you know, remember the sort of reaction to the, to Dean in the Blackburn game, um, and you had that in the final two home games this season. Now you could obviously debate the scale of it. You know, I think anybody who was in the ground would have heard it. You certainly would have heard it. For those who vocalised that frustration with you and at you, what can you say to them? Or is it just reaffirming what you've just said in your previous answer, that it's going to be different from here? Yeah, well, I'm not going to promise anything which I then don't deliver on because it just it just increases it. All I'd say is completely understand people's frustrations. Keep aiming it at me, but get behind the players. Please get behind our football players who will work tirelessly to help this team. Not one of them players has gone away this summer not bothered of what happened this season. Every single one of them was beaten up at the end of we've let the club down um, so all I'd ask is are then people not a problem hate me dislike me write what you want because I don't see it that's okay so keep doing that um, it's not nice it's worse for my family and people around me than me um, because I actually like the fact it's at me because it means it's not at somebody else and I would much because it I can go home and forget about it very quickly um, other people can't. I've seen this, people I've worked with in the past, not in Norwich, but other places where it's changed them and it's eaten them alive and they become bitter with life and the game and they come into mental health problems, etc., etc. I'm fortunate that over time I've developed coping mechanisms where I don't let it affect my mental health and I keep on top of myself to make sure that that doesn't happen and I won't let it happen. I won't let anyone affect my mental health um, because I've been down that road where it, where it has been affected and I know the, the strategies and coping mechanisms that I personally need to do with that um, but what I would say is give us or not us give the players and David a chance give them a chance and if we let you down not a problem but give them a chance what we can't have and I think it comes for you guys in the media as well and I said it on Radio Norfolk when I spoke to them as well is we also need to draw under the line under this at some point. And I, by all means, keep criticising me and slag me off and say every decision I make is terrible. That's okay, because I don't read it, I don't see it. And if I do see anything, I generally end up laughing, is because the context isn't there, and it's like, come and do my job for a month, and then let's see if you've all got hair left. But give the team, the players a chance, because I think it'll be a much happier place to come and watch football here 
And this club's going to live forever. I'm not going to be here forever. David won't be here forever. The players won't be here forever. You guys won't be reporting forever. The football club will be. And what we've got to be careful of is during this period, we don't create something where the next fan goes, that's not for me. I don't like football. If that's what, is that what football's like? Going somewhere where we ironically cheer if we have a shot or, you know, people keep using the C word around someone who most people wouldn't even know who I am. So it's like, we've got to try and change that mood. Now that, as I said right at the start, that comes on us. We have to do that. That's on the staff and the players. That's no one else. It, like when we got promoted with no fans here, we didn't get promoted that season because of the fans, did we? It's like, well, they weren't here. We got promoted because of our work. Um, and it's the same when we've had a difficult season. We haven't had a difficult season because of the fans. We've had a difficult season because we haven't been good enough. So we have to change that. But all we would ask, or I would ask on behalf of the players, give them a chance. Make this place a place where it's actually easier for us to play than the opposition. Um, and just meet us halfway. And if we don't produce, not a problem. Have a proper go. But if we do produce, let's get behind and let's have an enjoyable season. You know, our target again is, can we be in the mix for promotion? You know, we've done it twice in, in recent times. Uh, one time when no one expected it. And we're probably back at that place where no one expects it. There's probably, Pessimum will be a rubbish season. You know, luckily all the fans are coming back with the season tickets, which we're incredibly grateful for and don't take for granted ever. Um, but now it's like, oh, come on, let's, let's create a more positive place. And um, yeah. And if we don't deliver, we don't deliver. You know, hopefully the news coming out over the summer with signings and other club stuff will hopefully get people going, oh, there's a different narrative, there's a different change. But if we're going to continue going where we're going, and we're only going, it's only going to end one way, um, which would be more disappointment. And I don't think anyone wins from that. I don't think fans enjoy giving up Saturday afternoon for that. You guys won't enjoy reporting on that because, I don't know, maybe your paper suddenly makes cuts because actually the football club's rubbish now and there's less people reading it and... You know, Michael Bailey's on the Athletic go, you know, what's the point of having a Norwich reporter there now? Rubbish. You know, so it's like, I think it's in all of our interests to, to achieve that. But, again, for the record, and please, people take this as a headline, it is on us. We're not sat here going, oh, if the fans do this, we'll do it. No, no, no. It starts 100% with us, and the buck ultimately uh, stops with me. Yeah, and just on that final point, have you ever, in, particularly as you say, the toll it takes on families and on a human level, you know, if you've not experienced that, you can't really be in your shoes. What it's like to have that yeah. level of criticism, direct criticism, so to say. Did you ever, in the previous twelve months, consider jacking it in? Because, you know, as long as I've known you, you, you don't strike me as someone who's motivated by money or personal ambition. So, you could have walked away. You're on a rolling contract, but you've never considered jacking in. No, I think, I think first of all, I think we got to we got to make a difference between criticism and abuse. So criticism. All day we deserve criticism, even when we're doing well. It's like, you know, we've had times when we've done really well, but it's still been really bad decisions within that. You could say the process season, why did you waste money on Felix Paslak? You know, when you had Max Ahrens. That's, that's that would be a super fair criticism for that point. Where I do have an issue is, is, is around abuse. And I think, unfortunately, as a society, we're getting caught up in what abuse is okay. So, you know, Darren Moore got horrifically abused uh, after they got beat 4 0 on Friday night. I bet them same people are probably telling him, sending him a kissing emoji or something now. But he got horrifically abused, and it's massive headlines all over the BBC. Brilliant, because that's not okay. People like myself get massively abused, just a white guy um, who's 39, and it's not a headline, it's almost like it comes with the territory, it comes with the job. If you can't handle it, get out. I have a problem with that. I absolutely have a problem with that. If that's what we're teaching, it's okay. And if you as a media are feeding that, that that's okay. 
that's a massive problem because it can't just be you can't abuse a woman but you can abuse that guy you can't abuse a black guy but you can abuse that white guy that's not okay abuse is wrong and no one should have to be subjected to that because I've done nothing at this football club for six years which has warranted me getting abused I've done loads to warrant criticism absolutely loads and, and that that comes and if you can't handle criticism definitely you need to do something else because you're going to get criticized more than you're going to get patted on the back because if we win the league that's down to the the players and the coach if we get relegated it's down to the sporting director and they're the rules you sign up to as a sporting director and i'm completely cool with that because again if i don't like it i have to go and do something else but the abuse bit is something i'm strong about and and you know i have friends saying to me oh be careful saying that in public. No, no, I will say that in public because somebody has to because unfortunately in society, we've decided what abuse is okay. I'm not having that. No, I said this to the police. So the police come and spoke to me a year ago when I had a bit of brief at the end of the Premier League season and they had done body cam what happened to me that day and I got an apology from them. And I said, it's interesting that. I said, because if I would do the same thing outside Morrison's to the manager of Morrison's over the road, would you come and arrest me? They're going, oh yeah, you'd be in a cell, mate. I'm like, okay. But because I work in football, that's okay. I said that I can't have that. I said, so there's going to be a big problem if I have that level of use again in my face. I said, because I'm going to have to give it back. Um, because I just don't think that's okay. Um, criticism, absolutely. You know, singing for me to be sacked, that's, that's, that's not abuse, singing for me to get sacked. That's, that's opinion. Again, I, I, and I respect that. And to be honest, I don't blame him. Um, from what we served up the last 11 games, I've you know, felt like starting myself at times. Um, but the personal abuse bit, that's not okay. You know, the cowards who shout when they're 30 yards away, when you're with your son, I, I, I'm, I'm not accepting that. But in terms of walking away, I definitely wouldn't walk away because of cowards. I'll either get sacked at some point or I'll walk away when it's the right time for me to walk away. And it definitely won't be because of the few cowards who think they can try and bully you because I got bullied at school and from that day I was taught I'll stand up to them and, and that's, why I'll that's why I'll talk publicly about it because no no these people aren't going to win absolutely no chance not about affecting me as a person um, but come back to do I understand the frustration absolutely absolutely and they're right to be frustrated people spend a lot of money to come here society is a tough place at the minute and football should be the release it's an entertainment industry it should be the best place to go you know I went to my son to watch a motorbike race two weeks ago and it's like brilliant I'm there to be entertained I want to have fun um, and it should be the same at Car Road so that's on us to deliver that um, and if we don't we deserve criticism but not the abuse bit some of the stuff our players have had my god it's, it's nah that shouldn't be okay or oh, because he's privileged he earns good money to play football he's still a human he's still got a mum at home you know or a sick child at home and that's okay to call him these stuff nah I don't like that Thanks for your time and your candour and honesty, Stuart. Thank you.